Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. We have Callie on the phone. She's a mother to three grown daughters. She and her husband live in Northern Virginia, and her parents live in Palm Desert, California. Callie has two siblings, a brother who lives in Los Angeles, and a brother who lives in Chicago. All three are navigating the needs of their aging parents from different locations. Callie joins us from Northern Virginia, and she just came back from California. Welcome back. Oh, thanks. Before we get into that, tell us about where you grew up and what your relationship was like with your parents. Well, we moved from Detroit to Los Angeles when I was eight. So I basically grew up in Los Angeles. My parents were always working. So I more or less raised my two brothers. We were kind of latchkey kids, but they were always there for dinner and always taking care of all of our needs. We never felt like we were abandoned or anything. It's just that they had to work really hard to keep food on the table and take care of all the relatives because they helped a lot of their siblings from Greece. So around 10 years old, I remember kind of taking charge. I was the oldest sister, and my brothers are really close in age. We're all within 18 months apart of each other. So your parents were born? They were born in Greece, and uh, they met in the United States, and they were married here in 55. Mm -hmm. And then quickly started having kids, and my uh, father is a barber, and my mother was a beautician, and when they moved to California, they continued. She opened a beauty shop, he opened a barber shop, and then uh, ended up opening a market as well, Greek market. So they were quite busy, and eventually we all started helping at the different businesses. I actually got a manicuring license and was a manicurist in the beauty shop. My brothers helped in the the market Mm -hmm. while we were going to school because it was important we all went to school. Mm -hmm. But we all lived at home during college, during undergraduate. And then I interned in Washington, which I really enjoyed. I loved Washington, and I liked being away. It was my first college experience, actually, being away from home and being in charge of myself for once. Mm -hmm. And then my brothers went off to graduate school, and that's when they left home. So we were we were older when we all left home. It, it isn't like it is today where kids take off right at undergraduate but kid, level. But kids are also moving back into their parents' homes right now. Millennials are living with their parents in greater numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the difference. We didn't move back in. You didn't move <laughs> we, back in. We, we stayed for a while, but then we never moved back in. Got it. Which I think might be a little healthier, but... <laughs> So you came to D.C., and what sort of internship did you do? I did an internship on the Hill with a congressman, and then I went home, and then I really missed D.C., so I found any opportunity to try and come back. And uh, in the meantime, out in Los Angeles, I worked in television for a little while, and then an opportunity came to become a Nader Raider, and that's when I decided I needed to move back to D.C. What were the Nader Raiders? A Nader Raider, what did we do? Mm-hmm. Nader's Raiders did all sorts of things. They did a lot of consumer research, 
exposed corruption in government and government positions. My first job with them was to edit a book that had already been written called Business War on the Law. Interesting. And yeah, and that's before computers and before self-correcting typewriters. (laughs) Right. And they said I would be an editor, but actually I retyped the whole book. Oh, my gosh. And I, and I had to use whiteout. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that took up most of the summer. And at the end, I said, okay, now you owe me something interesting to do. And they put me on a, uh, a book called Reagan's Ruling Class. And I actually, as a 22-year-old pipsqueak, went around interviewing the secretaries of different departments. I don't know how I got in. I really don't know how I got in. And I would bring my research back and give it to a really intelligent young man who is still very well-known. His name's Ron Brownstein. He's one of the talking heads on TV. Anyway, and he would rewrite it and, and make me sound really smart. <laughs> <laughs> and then later in life, I went back and worked for Nader on a library project to save the libraries of D.C. when this was 2003. So we've stayed in touch. He's, he's uh-huh. a wonderful man. Cool. And I wish he was running for president right now. I think he, this year he would have won. You may be right about that. <laughs> you may be right about that. <laughs> so, how, so how long did you stay in L.A.? Um, when did you leave permanently, I guess is the question. I was 26. I got married and we moved to the Midwest where my husband did his residency. And then we both liked Washington, D.C. and he got a good job here. So we stayed here. And your husband does what? He's a physician. Okay. And you have three grown daughters, and they're out of the house. So how does caring for your kids compare with caring for your parents? Well, it's kind of similar because, (laughs) well, I say it differently. Caring for my parents has not been that hard. Up until recently, they've been in really, really good shape. They're in their late 80s, 90s, and early 90s, and they've taken care of each other for forever, really. And they've never really been apart. Even when they were working, they worked side by side in, in the barbershop, the beauty shop, and the market. It was all in one row. So they, even though they've been married 60 years, it's been like 120, really. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so they're kind of attached at the hip. And up until a few months ago, my dad still had a barbershop and was cutting hair. And we realized very early into his illness that the barbershop really wasn't making very much money, but it was a place for him to have a few hours of away time from my mom. Because if he was home, he couldn't take a nap, but in the barbershop, he could nap. Interesting. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, and it was just like a place where he nobody was telling him, you know, you've got to water the plants, you've got to pull weeds. You, you know, when old people are still pretty vital at the end, so one of them becomes the boss uh-huh. of the other one. And it's it's hard to watch that because the other one has given up, basically. They're not going to fight. They'll just do it. Well, tell us about your father's current health and the odyssey that you've been on. Well, in April, I was out there, and I dragged him to a tennis tournament, which I now feel really bad about. They live in the desert in California, and there was a big tennis tournament going on, and they had friends who had tickets. So they gave us these fabulous tickets to the tennis tournament, and my dad wanted to go. He just wanted to get away, you know, get out of the house. And he wasn't feeling well when we got to the tennis tournament, so we got him a wheelchair because it was hot and we were walking a lot. And um, I just didn't like how he looked. And when we got home, he kept saying his back hurt, his back hurt. And finally we made an appointment for him to go to the doctor, and that's when, you know, the doctor said, I don't like this, we need a CAT scan. And 
But before all that happened, this was after I had left, they went to get some drugs from the pharmacy they go to, and they have a very good friend there who is the pharmacist. He took one look at my dad and said, you need to get to the emergency room right away. I don't like the way you look at all. And it was the pharmacist who basically diagnosed it for my dad. Wow. So we were lucky because he was diagnosed with B-cell lymphoma. And it's not the worst kind of lymphoma. There, there's horrible stuff that he probably wouldn't have survived. But after a few rounds of chemo, he started to feel better. And I was just there for the fifth out of six rounds. And he's lost a lot of weight. He's very weak, but he he gets up, he walks around. He actually walks better than he did when he was well. And he, you know, he's responding well to the chemo. We're going to know more after the next round, then they'll do another CAT scan, and then we'll see if it's disappeared or not. So that's what we're waiting for. And it's pretty slow growing, and he is... 88 today, actually. Oh, wow. So, Happy yeah. birthday, Dad. So did you say <laughs> yeah. B lymphoma? B cell lymphoma. B as in boy? B as in boy. T cell is very dangerous. And okay. they misdiagnosed him in the beginning. They said it was something called Burkitt's, which is pretty fatal to old people. Younger people can handle the chemo, but that's really pretty drastic chemo. It's five days in the hospital. This is four hours outpatient every three weeks. I, I think mm-hmm. they do this with a lot of older people. They cut the chemo back to about half dose. So if they can tolerate it, then they won't give them the full dose because the side effects of chemo, especially on older people, are devastating. So I think that's why they, they gave him a much milder dose, just to see. And it has worked. So that was, I mean, I guess if it doesn't, they'll go back and up the dose. But, you know, you don't want the chemo to be the reason that they didn't survive. Right. And at first they were staying with my brother, but they were very unhappy. They wanted to be in their own home. But that's two hours away. So we worked it out where they went back to the desert in between the chemo, and we had a home care person come in three days a week to exercise my dad and help him take a shower, which did not sit well with my mom at all. And I know this is very typical, but this is a woman who never had a maid, who Your never mom. had any. Yeah. And that has been the challenge yeah. is trying to make her understand that they need the help. She's 91. She cannot help an 88-year-old man at 91 go into a walk-in shower and take a shower, and if he falls, they're going to both go down. Right. So we've tried to be as logical as possible. Then we've gotten emotional, and I finally said, if he goes down, you go down, you both break your hips, you're both going to end up in a nursing home. Take Mm -hmm. your choice. So, (laughs) I mean, at a certain point, the rationality of it all just doesn't sink in. So that's been the big challenge, and everyone that's come out, they've had a problem with, and my mother's fired a couple of them, and my dad insists on having a male caretaker because he's very private, and to get in, to have somebody help him shower who's another woman has just never been anything he could handle, Mm -hmm. and there's good female caretakers out there, but the male ones are few and far between, and they're very popular for the same reason. We had... One great male caretaker that finally my parents started to like, and then he moved on to another job. So now my nephew is out there helping them, and I'm in the middle of trying to find somebody that would meet the standards that the other one set. He was really very good, and my parents have a pool, and he even took a bathing suit over and 
he would help my dad into the pool, and that was fun for both of them, actually. Why did he take the other job? He didn't take another job. He was training to be a firefighter, oh, and I he... See. Yeah, and he finished his training. He was doing this as a side job. I see. But there's different levels of proficiency. And, you know, you can't expect every one of them to be similar. And plus, it's a personality thing. Did you go through an Um, agency? I did. Okay. My parents have a certain kind of insurance, and they had a list of agencies. But I will tell you, I was surprised at how little training these people get. And I learned a couple things. One, I never asked for a resume of the person that they were going to send. I just trusted them to send the right person. And I never talked to the person before they went out there. I just kind of sent them blindly to my parents. And what worked with the second caretaker that they actually liked, his name was Mark, was I spoke with him for about an hour before he went to my parents. And I told him how he could win over my mom. I told him what made her crazy about caretakers <laughs> and what to do to soften the idea of having to have somebody in the house. This group of caretakers were supposed to do like light housekeeping, run a chore, but my mother, who never had a maid, would never let anybody clean her home. Uh-huh even lighthouse keeping. She didn't want anybody to go and pick out bananas for her. So there was very little. I mean, it started to become a very narrow list of things that the caretaker could do. Mm-hmm. But the one thing the parents, especially immigrant parents who have worked really hard all their lives and never had help in the house, they don't like to see anybody sit and stare at their companion and do nothing or play on the phone or just disengage, or just be there, because they feel like, well, I can be here. Why do I need somebody else to just be here? Mm -hmm. She never took advantage of having somebody there so that she could go out and, you know, have a cup of coffee with her girlfriends or go to the grocery store. That She was not going to leave a stranger in her home. And they have quite a network out there, and Mm -hmm. she's quite the rock star in the desert. Uh She, Yeah, when I go out there, I'm constantly surprised. I mean, the Ford dealer that they go to never charges them to fix their car, never. You're kidding me. No, he delivers it because my mother takes him food, and when he was sick, she took him soup, and Uh nobody does these things anymore for each other, and their karma is good in the desert. This last time we took them back after the chemo to the desert, and we forgot all his medicine in my sister-in-law's refrigerator in Burbank, which is a two-hour drive. And I went straight to the the pharmacy, the Kaiser Pharmacy, and I found their friend, and I said, this is what I've done. And they don't usually give you more medicine. They will charge you the going price. And he he just nodded, and he said, just wait right here. And he went and got me all the medicine I needed so I wouldn't have to drive back to Burbank and come back again and just charged me what the normal Kaiser price would be, which is very little. You know, it's things like that. And then all the other, the women in the pharmacy who know my parents came up to me before I left and said, oh, please tell them we miss them. We want to see them. Anything we can do. And they have a lot of, you know, friends from church who are always coming by, and which is very difficult, actually, because... When you're undergoing chemo, you have to be isolated. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest things has been to keep people away because they want to come and see my dad and tell them how much they love him. And Mm -hmm. so one thing I did when I was in the desert this last time is I took all the girlfriends of my mom out to lunch. And I, as gently as I could, asked them to please keep my father isolated and don't visit 
until he's done with the next round of chemo and he's, his platelets are good again. Mm-hmm. Because all he needs is one little infection and it stops the rounds of chemo and right. we go down that rat hole. And they said, well, what can we do? And I said, you know, the best thing you could do is call my mom and pick her up and take her either grocery shopping or take her out or, you know, get her out of the house. He's okay alone for a couple hours. It's nothing will happen. In fact, he sleeps a lot. So, and, and also it's a good break for him. He, need, he needs a break from her. She's so concerned about him that she treats him like a two-year-old and she's always on top of him. And I, at a certain point, I expected him to crack, but he was too weak. He just kind of took it. But it's hard. You know, you want... You're still independent. You still want your independence, and he doesn't have it now. So your mom is still driving? Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) That's always the big one, taking away the keys. Luckily, the only places she goes are within less than a mile. The church is within a mile, the grocery store, and even the... um, the medical center they go to is, I would say, two miles, and it's all streets. They, they don't get on the freeway anymore. They don't take long trips or, you know, she's just tootling <laughs> around the town. But still, Palm Desert is not 100% senior citizens anymore. Right. And it also depends on the time of year. But yeah. the, the streets yeah. are pretty wide down there, as I recall. <laughs> they're wide and they're they're dead right now. <laughs> right. But what's really great about where your parents live is that they can so-called age in place kind of well because they live in a community that they're connected to. And really, when you you know you talk about growing older, it growing old well, it's about being in an age-friendly community, and mm-hmm. they are. They are in an age-friendly community. Oh, yeah, and there's a lot of services for them there. Yes. More so than, I think, other places that don't cater to seniors. Right. So you said your dad had his fifth round of chemo just a few days ago, and did you say that was going to be the last one until he gets a checkup now? No, he has one more in August, and then he'll have a PET scan, and then we'll know. And then you'll know, okay. So you have a caregiver now, a home health aide now that comes in? Yes, but again, we're testing them. Right. The last one didn't pass. He made the mistake, and I've, I, I try. I talk to them ahead of time. I say, the one thing that will make this work is if you're always looking busy, and they're only there for four hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my mother's not going to give you any help in what needs to be done. If you say, okay, what can I do to help you, she's going to say nothing. Right. And then when you do nothing, she's going to complain to me, and <laughs> she's going to say that they do nothing. And I said, you have to understand, she's looking to fire you. Uh-huh. She's looking for any good excuse to fire you. Don't give it to her. So this is the kind of conversations I have. I said, here's what you need to do. Because the main thing is to help my dad shower and shave and get dressed and take care of a lot of those kinds of personal care things. Yes, I said, Acti- don't activities do that. of daily living. Activities. I said, right. but don't do that right away. Right. The first thing I want you to do is take him for a walk outside, get him outside because he's in the house all the time. But it's so hot outside in the desert. <clears throat> oh, they love it. People who live out there think it's wonderful. Mm. So take him for a walk either around the pool or around the house. Take him for a walk. Then do his exercises. And this is where we come to a real difference in the caregiver's. Some will take their blood pressure Mm -hmm. and do a little medical checkup, you know, on Mm -hmm. them. And others are not trained to do that. And that's really quite scary to me, the fact that there's such a difference. Yeah. Because the one they really liked would come in and the first thing he would do is say, you know, I'm going to take your blood pressure now and I'm going to, he's diabetic, so he checks his blood in the morning. And then he, you know, he would exercise him, take him in the pool take him for a walk, and then they would take the shower. Because once my dad takes a shower and changes and everything, he's ready for a nap. I said, I want you to get him tired, get him ready, but don't 
get him ready at 10 o'clock and put him down for a nap at 10.30, and then you're sitting there until 2. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard for caregivers. They're not quite sure. And if, if you have one who doesn't even want you there, it's very difficult. I mean, there's, there's hostility. And they have to be super thick-skinned and super charming to get past that. Mm-hmm. One managed to break through that, but the others haven't. And I, I've tried to give them as much guidance, but some are listening and some are not. Mm-hmm. But once he's taking a nap, then either my mother will leave. She ha- With the one that they liked, Mark, she actually got to the point where she would go for a quick errand. Mm-hmm. She trusted him enough, but now she won't leave. And then, you know, there's a lot to do. You could water plants. You can pull lemons out of the pool that fall into the pool so that my mother, who doesn't swim, doesn't drown trying uh-huh. to do that. She thinks that taking a rake and pulling the lemons from the deep end is a safe thing to do oh when you gosh. don't swim. Yeah. And she also has a ladder outside underneath a fig tree, and she likes to climb that ladder and pick figs from the top of the tree. And, you know, I've said 300 times, why is this ladder out here? She goes, oh, when they come, I have them pick figs. I said, when who comes? They. I'm not sure who they are. My friends, well, her friends are all in their 80s, so Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why that's even better. But she says they like to come and pick figs. And I know for sure she's getting up on the ladder. Oh, gosh. That would worry um, me so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, this stuff happens. It's like a nightmare, you know, when you're this far away and they don't listen. The stubbornness has totally taken over. And I have a lot of people telling me, oh, you're going to be just like that. You're going to be just like your mom when you're old. And I'm thinking, no, I don't think I want to fall from a ladder when I'm 90. Mm-hmm. Not sure I want to slip in a bathtub. You know, <laughs> I, I, I might take things a little bit slower. <laughs> right. Well, and it's not even an issue of money. I mean, I could understand if there was a money issue. And, a, and I know that a lot of seniors are strapped and it's really tough to hire home caregivers mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and drivers or take a taxi or But that is not the issue in this case. They are comfortable. They have enough to make their lives comfortable. It's an old world mentality. My mother-in-law had it too, but my mother-in-law lived here during the Depression, and she went through the Depression, so it's a Depression mentality. I think that's what we're seeing, and I I think we're going to be different seniors because Mm -hmm. we didn't have either a Depression or an immigrant experience to make us worry about things like that. Or to toughen us up in the way that sort of makes us predisposed to thinking we don't need help. I mean, not to say that we're not tough, but our lives have been so different. We've had challenges, but we're also, as boomers, kind of needy. We want to live well. We want to solve our own health problems. Not that we can, for whatever reason, financial No, but we're not going to make our lives totally miserable. We want to be comfortable. Yeah, we want to be comfortable. (laughs) And, And if it means taking an Uber instead of being a a terror on the road, I'll take an Uber, you know. Um, Well, how many home health aides have you been through so far? Three. 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 Okay. There's a lot of turnover in the industry for lots of different reasons. Low wages, ability to turn down work. And by the way, home health aides, I'm just going to make this point because people who look to hire caregivers don't always know this, but you should ask your agency, is is the person you're sending me a home health aide? Because home health aides are not allowed to do medical work. They're supposed to assist. They're not allowed to give medications. They're not allowed to do a lot of the things that it sounds like some 
or at least one, has done for your dad, and maybe they were up a nursing assistant. It depends. The thing is, is that people are registered with agencies have different kinds of designations. They have different certifications. Mm -hmm. So it's a good idea to ask the agency, what credentials does this person have that you're sending out? Not because you're going to reject them necessarily, but because you want to know what sort of things they can and can't do. Mm -hmm. Um, Having said that, some home health aides will do things they're not necessarily supposed to do just because they care so much about the person. And it's it's an easy task, and it's not injecting a needle. It's something they can do. But anyway, have your brothers gone out a lot? How do they stay engaged? Yeah, we've been taking turns going out for the chemo, and then the one brother who lives there, you know, goes and picks them up a couple days before the the chemo, and they live with him for about five or six days afterwards so that my sister-in-law can give him his injections. Oh, is now the chemo we, in L.A.? Or is it in... In, in, in L.A., oh, so in okay. L.A. Okay. the chemo's so in L.A. Okay. Right, so they go back and forth. Everybody's... We've all carried the load. Uh-huh. Not good. equally because yeah. the one brother who's in LA just unfortunately is because of proximity, mm-hmm. but we've done what we can to at least share the load. And it, to be honest, it's not as hard as it seems. It's just that if my mother was just a little bit more cooperative and go with the flow, it would go a lot easier. If I'm taking anything away from this, it's that that kind of stubbornness and reluctance to to give in on certain things has caused caused more problems between my brothers and I. Not that we argue over what should be done, but because she's not allowing things, it puts more stress on us. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if I think if she really understood that, she'd back down because, you know, Greek parents especially do not want their children to argue with each other. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the worst possible outcome for them in their lives is to see their kids arguing. And again, we don't argue about what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. We just, she puts so much stress on us that we are taking it out on each other. And unfortunately, as the oldest child and the one who always brought the hammer down, I have to take that role of being the enforcer with my mom. And my brothers are still allowed to be, you know, the princes of the family. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I've become a little bit uncomfortable in this role, and I want them to, to back me or at least to take on the role of being the enforcer. I'd like to hand it off once in a while. Mm-hmm. Have you talked with them about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've t- I, I basically they... told Well, when they complain to me about certain things, I just text them back her phone number. <laughs> and I, you know, I said, anytime you want to call her, you, you go right ahead. I, mm-hmm. I've had enough. Mm-hmm. Because to be honest, she would, she takes what I say, you know, and lets it just go in one ear and out the other because she doesn't think I'm serious. Because you're the if girl? Her, if her son, yeah, because I'm the girl. I mean, there's mm-hmm. still, while she was not, she was probably more advanced than most Greek mothers. I mean, she, you know, she insisted I go to college. She insisted, she even tried to push me into law school which I did not want to do, mm-hmm. but she never was, she was never, what's the word, a chauvinist, what, you uh-huh, know, uh-huh. growing up. Right. I mean, she believed that I should have every opportunity that my brothers had, but she values what they have to say much more than me. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And, and you know, they, their sons are their sons are their sons. So I guess I could be replaced, not easily. Oh, no. But <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> but she's going to go to her grave thinking I'm the mean one, which is okay, I guess. Oh. Um, what about having a to. family intervention, the four of the no, five of you? No? Nothing. You know what? At this age, seriously, if you think mm. anything is going to change, you're living in a, the land of delusion. <laughs> you just have to accept it and, may, and surround yourself with friends who don't keep telling you to have patience with her, just to keep telling you, yeah, she's crazy. Uh-huh. So, so that, that gets to my next question about how you cope and what resources you've tapped into, what your strategy is, if you're, how you talk about this with your friends, etc. Well, I have a few friends I can be really honest with, and they don't judge me. And anyone who has said to me, who knows her, and has said to me, well, she's scared or uh, she feels like she's losing control, they don't really know her. I just don't share anything with them anymore because... Frankly, I don't want to hear it. I need a friend to say, you know, you are right. This mm-hmm. woman's going to make you crazy and you need some downtime. I just don't need anybody to make me feel more guilty. You know, we, we all have enough guilt. Right. So you need to find friends who agree with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible. That don't add any fuel to your fire. That's a yeah, big, you, big complaint you, with caregivers, that, that people are always telling you what to do rather than just listening. I don't want anybody to tell me to be patient anymore because <laughs> <laughs> then I'm going to hand her off to them. And they know, I mean, these are people who know, my, even her friends in the desert, they actually are my biggest source of strength I have out there. Her friends in the desert? Yeah, because uh-huh. they understand my mom. They know yeah. my mom. They know that she isn't frightened, that she's not acting this way because she's, oh, look, she, everybody's frightened they're going to lose their spouse, of course. But... This personality isn't a a shift from, oh, I was never like this, but now that I'm scared I'm going to lose my spouse, I've become uber stubborn and uber controlling. This is how she was. It didn't bother me when she didn't want a maid. Okay, you don't want a maid, then let the house go to pot. That's your decision. You don't want a driver, fine. Just don't drive at night and just go to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that don't affect the everyday well-being of my father. But this does. Right. Things she does now, this kind of a stubborn behavior and the inability to let us do what we need to do in order to help him get through this is very frustrating. And when I went out with her girlfriends, they're the ones that told me, we understand, we know how hard it is for you. Because they tell her, you need to get help. You need to have a maid come in even every other week. You need mm-hmm. a gardener. You, you can't be out there pulling weeds. They tell me that they have told her that. And they totally support me. That's they good. know that I'm trying my hardest. And it's actually pretty gratifying because they know her best. So they don't tell me, be patient. Mm-hmm. They tell mm. me, we don't understand how you can do this. Which, when somebody's going through this, It's really much better to just listen to them and then tell them that they're, you know, that they're just doing a great job and that you couldn't possibly do this on your own. Mm -hmm. Even if you think you could, even if you think you could do a better job, even if you think you could be more patient than whoever your friend is, that's not the time Mm -hmm. because only the person going through it knows what they're going through. And the be patient advice is just really useless. When you talk about this with your friends, do they have similar stories of things they're going through with their parents? And Oh, you, yeah. I have yeah. a girlfriend whose mother lives with her who is going through – her father lives in New York. Her mother lives with her. The parents separated years ago. They're not divorced. And they're both very highly educated, intelligent seniors. And um, 
But we like it, she'll call and say, "My turn to rant," and then she rants about her mom. And then I'm very sympathetic, but I never say, "Oh, your mom." Oh, I love your mom. I don't know why you, you know, because to be honest, I love her mother. I really do. Mm-hmm. I've never had an issue with her mother. She's never said anything rude or even the slightest crazy to mm-hmm. me. But I know what's going on. So she, so we just take turns ranting, and and it's it's healthy, you know. And sometimes, like when I have a party or something, I tell her to bring her mom just to get her out of the house, mm-hmm. and that's what I think real friends do. You know what I mean? A lot of times, people forget that your friends need a break, but they also can't leave a senior at home, and it's not going to kill you to include the parent, and that parent, even if they sit in a corner and just observe the goings on, they're much happier than just sitting at home. And Mm -hmm. you've, you know, you've included them in something. And you've also helped your friend. Yeah, because they don't have the guilt feelings of having left their parent again at home alone. Yeah. And you know, you make a really good point about the parent coming along and just hanging out because they just want to be part of the action. Well, if they, you know, many times she she gets into a lively conversation sure. with somebody. I mean, these she's coherent, and right. but even if they're not, even if they're forgetful, even if they're, you know, have slight dementia, just the idea that you know you've invited your friend with their parent to come, and you just make whatever accommodations you need to make for that parent. It really means a lot to people. It really, really does. And it just helps them have a good time right. because they're not spending the whole time with you worried, you know, I just left her home. Is she going to start a fire? Is she going to, you know, or put them through the expense of having to hire somebody to come and be with them while they're at your party, you know, which is also, I mean, can, can add up after a while. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's just respect. You know, before elders used to live, in the homes. And they used to actually be a lot of help. Most seniors, and I'm talking senior seniors, because I am now considered a senior. Right. Um, but you're talking about people in their 80s. And, 80s. And in their right. 80s and Those up. Those senior seniors. Yeah. The ones who survived to that point, for the most part, were pretty sturdy people. Because when you think about it, you know, if they survived childhood back then, they had to have a pretty sturdy constitution. My dad had 12 siblings. Wow. No, he had... 13, and four of them died in childhood Wow! from dehydration. I mean, four of them never made it to three, and they always died between two and three. They either got sick and became dehydrated. So the ones that did survive all that, they were pretty healthy. Like my grandparents, one grandmother lived in my aunt's house until she passed away, but she didn't linger. She wasn't sick. She had a massive stroke and lived for a couple days, and then she passed away. So you think about it, those people, and they were, because they were around young people, because they were around their family, they were much more engaged, and they helped, and they cooked, and they cleaned, and mm. they, they wanted to be helpful. And, you know, it's very unusual now to find somebody who either lives with a parent or has a parent in their home. And in a way, it's kind of sad that we're not carrying on that tradition, but it's going to, I think it's going to get worse as people survive longer and longer, just because we can survive longer and longer. It doesn't mean we're going to have healthy, a good quality um, of life, right? Yeah. A good quality of life, because right. I'm not sure the people who are surviving now are as healthy as the people who survived in the twenties and thirties. That's a really good point. And what you were saying earlier about engaging them is a, you know, everybody needs to have a sense of purpose in their life at any age. 
And mm -hmm. and if you've lived into your 80s, it's very easy to fall into the mindset that you've outlived your usefulness. And certainly if you have younger people around you who are discarding you, as it were, it's only going to uh -huh. make things worse. So it is important, I think, to engage older people as, as much as you can. Of course, there are all kinds of complications around that work, family. So I don't mean to in any way say, oh, it's a cakewalk. But yeah, it's important. Um, so... Well, how do you think you'll approach your own aging based on your experience with your parents? What will you do differently? And what are oh, they Oh, I'm going to spend every penny I have on <laughs> comfort. <laughs> I'm not going to lift a finger. I'm going to have a driver and then a separate person to open the door for me. Well, <laughs> I hope you can afford it, honey. <laughs> no, if I can afford it. I, you know, what I don't understand is they've, you know, my parents are lucky. They have two lawyers and two doctors among their children and their uh, in-laws. So they're, they're very well protected. People are watching. People are making sure that things are happening correctly. And if I'm lucky enough to be in that situation, I truly think that I'm just going to sit back and let my kids, if they want to you know, protect me that way and take care of me, I'm going to let it happen. I'm going to try anyway. I think it would be very hard for me to give up driving, I could understand if my mother fought about that. We have not approached that with her yet. Mm -hmm. I could understand that fight. I could understand a lot of things. What I don't understand is this insistence that she can bend over and clean bathtubs and she can mow lawn. She, she can mows pull the weeds. lawn still? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Wait not a, a big lawn, it's, right. but it's, um, it's good size. It's, you Your know, the backyard. Your 91-year-old mother mows the lawn. How big is she? About five feet. But we're talking, you know, how can she small even front reach yard. the handle of the lawnmower? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you do it in 110 degree heat. But oh you know gosh. that kind of stuff. Clean the pool. Mm -hmm. I'd have a pool person come, especially in the desert where it's like 10 bucks a week. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I because we did not go through the depression because we don't have an immigrant mentality of save, save, save mm -hmm. because we're going to lose it at some point. Which it's not a bad mentality to have, but at some point. This is what I don't understand, especially among seniors who have the money. And, and there are a lot of seniors who are enjoying themselves. You know, there's bumper stickers. We're spending our kids' inheritance all over Palm Desert, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is, you know, which is great. That's I mean, they funny. worked hard. They deserve it. Yeah. But this immigrant mentality of they're in their late 80s and early 90s, and they're still saving for a rainy day. Well, you know what? It's raining. It's thunderstorming. <laughs> it's time to spend. You know, yeah. there's, a down, there's a downpour now. I don't I don't understand that at all. The interesting thing is they're super super generous. Like they, you know, everybody gets huge checks on their birthdays. Mm -hmm. Each grandchild gets a huge check once a year for college. Mm -hmm. They're not stingy. They just there's certain places they'll spend it and there's certain places they will not. Like they do not like to go out to eat. They don't spend they on will, themselves. Not at all. In fact, the joke in our family is that my parents dress like homeless people because, they, and we buy them. My mother has a closet full of St. John suits, you know, that my sister-in-law has bought her that um, occasionally she'll put one on uh -huh. when we insist, but normally she wears the same old shorts and t-shirt uh -huh. and she'll wear it for three days in a row until I have to pull a fit and say, I'm just not taking you out like that. I look like I picked you up on the street and took the sign off of your neck. What's really hard for me is that they have all these great friends in the desert. 
which is why I talk to them often about my parents' care, because I don't want them to think that we are keeping my parents from spending money on maids and mm-hmm. cars. My dad still buys used cars. Does So your dad still when drives he, when he's healthy? Yeah, he yeah. was driving until he right. till this happened. And he was he bought a Ford Focus or something. You know, he's always wanted a Cadillac. It's like now's the time. Get a nice Cadillac. Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand that, but I don't want I'm more embarrassed cuz you know, we're all professionals. We've all been successful and all their friends know that we're successful. And I don't want them to think that this is our doing. Yeah. I want them to understand that my parents live like this because they want to live like this, not because we are keeping them from spending our inheritance. But don't you think and, they and, know that on some level? Because if they know your parents as well as it sounds like they know them, they probably if, wouldn't be surprised by that, what you're saying. If, if they didn't know it, they know it now because I've made it real clear to them. I've actually hired, I hired a maid while I was there and window cleaners and uh-huh. handymen that I've gotten names from their friends. So they know that I'm trying, and they know that this is not our doing. And part of it is is really that I don't want people to think that I would want my parents to live this way. They could they could use new furniture. They don't get it. They've got the world's ugliest rugs. You well, know, they they're happy change, the way they are. They how, are. Yeah. They are, but it doesn't make it a comfortable place to visit. Okay. So it, you can uh, stay in a hotel. I did. Yeah. This last time, so I actually I stayed up the street in a hotel which was mortifying to my mother, but I didn't argue this time. I didn't say you need a maid, you need to, you know, the last time I was there, I cleaned everything up and I packed away all these terrible things that were just part hoarder. Then I came back this time and everything was put back out. And I said, okay, I'm not staying here. That's it. You know, I can't do this. So when you clean, you're doing it not just for them, but for you, because you want to be comfortable there. And you want want to to be comfortable there. I have bought beautiful, like, linens and things for the guest room and yeah that's just not their scene i get that they have towels from when they got married 60 years ago they're threadbare lamps from the the early 50s that are dangerous you know the wiring's off i threw it away but i forgot to take it down the street and throw it away Mm. so yeah it's stuff like that and i know that other people are dealing with this because i've talked to people we share stories that's the other thing if you can find people who are have a sense of humor about this and then you can like try to one up each other on how crazy your parents are <laughs> then it it almost like takes the burden off that you're just not going crazy that's why i think what you're doing is great because you know i'm sure there's you know thousands of people out there who have very similar stories to mine who think they're sitting around being the only ones with this kind of that are dealing with this and they're the only ones dealing with this I guess the bottom line is you just want them to spend the money to be comfortable, to live well, because they don't have that much longer to do it. Well, that brings up my next question, which is what's going to happen when one of them dies? Well, I used to think I would bring my mother into my home, but I realize now that can't happen. I would love to have the type of person that could live with me and I could take care of them and they could be independent in my home. But it would cause too much stress and strain on on my family. So I don't know. I don't know. It depends who dies first. It just depends. I think my mother would be fine on her own in the desert with her friends. I think she could survive it. It's not ideal. We always thought, because my dad's younger, we always thought, well, if something happened to my mom, my dad is easy and we'd probably fight over who got my dad, who got to have him. Because uh-huh. he's, you know, you give him a baseball game and a, a meal, and he's happy. 
his needs are not that great. He doesn't need to be in control. He's happy to just, if you take him for a ride, take him out for lunch. Anything makes him happy. He's just a happy person. He was a barber all his life. You know how barbers are. They love people. They love talking to people. They're informed. He has very simple needs. I, th- I think it's going to be very different depend- depending on who goes first. And as far as they're concerned, I, d- I don't even know who, who would have the harder time being left. Even though my dad would be an easier one to take care of, I'm not sure he would handle it better. And that's why there's that theory that within 18 months, if they've been close all their lives, you know, after one passes, the other one just doesn't see any reason to stick around. It's wow. really kind of it's kind of sad on, on one hand. On the other hand, it's almost like, well, they loved each other so much, you know. All right. It's kind of like what happened with my parents. It could have happened. It could have happened, but you intervened. Yeah. If you, I, I really believe that if somebody doesn't intervene and give them a will to live, that they can easily just decide it's time to go. Or they can lose the will to take care of themselves and then just go downhill without knowing it. Yeah. Really. How is your mother's health? She's had issues forever. Such as? Two hip replacements. She's got something wrong with her toe that she had an operation on just recently, and it still hurts. I'm sure it's nerve-related. Mm-hmm. They did have a car accident, and she broke some ribs a couple years ago, and she's had chest pain since. Mm. And she's starting to hunch. Mm-hmm. She's not sitting up straight anymore. There's that little hunch that I'm noticing. But, I mean, for 91, she's still got enough gumption to yell at people and take over every conversation. <laughs> so, and she cooks and cleans and she stays busy. So, yeah, physically active, that's a really that's really important. Well, she gets up and out of the chair and walks around and, you know, doodles in the kitchen all day. Yeah, that's and, enough. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's not like she's swimming laps, but I know a lot of women, her friends, in the desert who are close to her age and they're much more active. I mean, they exercise, they go to yoga classes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and they're in really good shape. She's mentally really good and physically okay. So I, whatever happens, I hope it isn't lingering and requires to be in a bed because if she is still together mentally, it would be excruciatingly painful for her. That loss um, of control that. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, terrible. it would be hor- It would be just horrible, and to have to have somebody take care of her. This is Miss Independence from the time she was a little girl. So she's not going into a nursing home. No, we would never let that happen. I mean, if anything, she would stay in her home and have a lot help. Of care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, she woke up in a nursing home one time after her hip replacement. They transported her without even us knowing from the hospital to the Kaiser nursing home. It's they yeah. don't have rehabs; they have nursing homes. And she woke up in a room with two permanent residents of the nursing home on either side of her who were one was not coherent at all and was screaming and tearing her clothes off. And the other one was crying. And she woke up in the middle of the night thinking that we had put her in a nursing home. And when we finally got there in the morning, when we finally we went to the hospital and we were told she was transported, we went there and I took over and got her into a private room. But it took a lot of threats and a lot of getting in the face of the rep that ran the nursing home. I said, this isn't going to happen. They didn't call you before they transferred her? No, at midnight, she's allowed two days in, a, in the hospital after a hip replacement. So at we left, and in the middle of the night, they put her in an ambulance and took her to this nursing home. 
and she was drugged, so she didn't know where she was. She didn't, you know, she didn't understand until she came to. And then we went to the hospital to see her, and they told us they had, she'd been transported. It was really quite a nightmare. That sounds and, terrible. How oh, yeah. come they didn't call you? I and, don't know. And were, so you happened to be in Calif- California at that I time? I went out for the hip replacement. Oh, okay. I see. Okay. I was there. And well, these beds were sold. They had cranks on them. This facility was so bad. It was almost like medieval. It was unbelievably horrible. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, it was terrible. And what made me really sad is I knew I could get my mother out of there. You know, she had family. She had she had a whole support group. But there were old, older people there who were just sitting in the hallway strapped to their wheelchairs and being ignored in the beds. And I, I you know, it was almost like a glimpse of the future. And I thought, no, this this isn't going to happen. Never. Yeah, some, it's Some horrible. nursing homes are worse than jails. <laughs> yeah, you might as well um, go and shoplift and be put in a, in jail <laughs> exactly. when you're in a, a senior because, you know, it, it, you'll get better care. You'll get better care than if you don't have any insurance or anything. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was horrible. I, and it just solidified the fact that we're never going to do that to her. You know, stubbornness aside, nobody deserves that. Do you think oh. that you'll stay in your house as you get older? Would you like to age in place? I would love to leave this house feet first. Most you know? people, that's the choice of most people. They want to stay yeah. in their homes. Yeah, yeah, because they're comfortable. They know their way around. Even if their eyes go, they know where the rooms are. They know where their bathrooms are, you know. Unless you really, you know, want to move and you want to get out of the cold, that's a whole different story. But if you want to stay in your home, I think... If it's at all possible, your kids should do everything they can to keep you there. So what's the hardest thing for you right now with your parents? The hardest thing is being across the country and having to rely on other people to help me. And I've learned to call people. I've learned to find people that I don't want it all on my brother's shoulders and my sister-in-law because I don't want down the road to be told, well, we did this and we did that. You know what I mean? I'm anxious about that. And I'm anxious about sharing the load. So I try to do as much as I can by phone and Mm -hmm. take as many of the responsibilities as I can. Because, you know, you always hear in every family, there's the one child who is the caregiver. And then the others kind of sit back and let that person do it. And then when the parent passes, a lot of old wounds get opened. So I'm trying to keep that from becoming our story. So... I do as much as I can. I keep emails, updates to everybody about what I'm doing so that they know that I'm doing it. And not so much to say, oh, look what I'm doing, but to keep them informed. And then the other thing is like, for instance, in order to get them back to the desert so they wouldn't have to stay with my brother for a whole week after the chemo, I found a nurse in the desert through our church. She's a Greek woman. And she comes for the seven days after the chemo and gives my father his shots. And it's actually, I was there this last time, and it's worked out really well because, one, she's better at giving him the shots than someone who isn't a nurse. And my dad, the first time the nurse came and did it, he was so pleased. He goes, oh, you did it? You're done? Because hmm. it's the first time I didn't see him wince during oh. the shot. And, again, I mean, it's not inexpensive to have a nurse, but if you find someone who is willing to do it out of the goodness of their heart and then you can repay them in another way which is mm-hmm. which is what we've done because she knows my parents and she's happy to do it that's been helpful you know everybody has something they can do and another friend said well what can I do and I said you know my mother's 
thinks she's still a good cook, but the problem is she's not giving him a lot. She does. My mother's not good with vegetables and, you know, fresh food. Mm-hmm. She does the old heavy Greek cooking, but to make, you know, steamed vegetables and a big non-Greek salad <laughs> is very difficult for her. So I said, you know, if you think about it, if you want to drop by a fresh salad or fresh fruit or fresh vegetables sometime, that would be helpful. You know, a lot of times we don't want to ask people to do things. And now's the time because they're feeling powerless. And mm-hmm. if they can do something, it, it just makes them feel like they're accomplishing something. And people feel good about doing stuff. And they'd right. rather do something that's helpful than, oh, bring over another bouquet of flowers, you know? Right. And you don't, you shouldn't even wait to be asked. I mean, if you know that your friend has parents who are sick or somebody living in their home, you know, just make a healthy meal and take it over. Don't ask because that is the most helpful thing you can do. And it's really much more helpful than a card or a a bouquet or even a bottle of wine. Make a couple meals that can be frozen or just healthy meals and just make it your mission to take one a week for the duration of the illness or something. Mm -hmm. Or set up a food thing because feeding people healthy food is the best thing right now. And my mother's not going to go to Whole Foods <laughs> to, buy, to buy my dad his organic. I filled the refrigerator with organic meats and this and that, which will last for about the next month. But after that, it's back to, you know. You got to go back out there and make do another load in. I'm going. I'm going to try and go once a month and, and restock with the healthy stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, I can't put fresh vegetables and, you know, all that stuff in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Will you stay in a hotel again? Yes. That's become a given. That's become a given. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we can't argue over the temperature of the house anymore. (laughs) And I can't sleep in 82 degree homes. (laughs) I have my limits. So what would you like to hear more about from the presidential candidates or even local politicians about long-term care? You know, I, I see a lot of seniors on the streets. And especially in California, where the weather's good, I, I, you, you see a lot of homeless people. Usually they're younger. I saw some really older people that broke my heart. And I think there should, there should be a lot more done and a lot more, for even for caregivers, a lot more daycare centers that could be established for seniors and not just, oh, you park them here. Places where they can learn to do things, where they can keep their minds active, where there's painting classes and yoga classes and, you know, whatever you're up for. I just, I really think that if there's some kind of initiative to to create these centers all over the country, it would be really helpful. That would hit two things. One, it would take the burden off of a lot of day caregivers who have to go to work, aside from taking care of their parents. Mm-hmm. These are people who are taking care of their parents. And it would create jobs. It would, it would also be a job creator when you think about it. And it would be, a, I think, a lot more civilized way to take care of our seniors. You know, they're locked away, they're isolated, and they're very unhappy. I have a friend who brought her mother here from Puerto Rico because she wanted to sell her mother's apartment in Puerto Rico. And her mother was perfectly happy. She had all her girlfriends in Puerto Rico. They went out once a day. They went for lunch. And this woman literally sits home every day just waiting for her daughter to come back from work. Mm. That is her life now. Mm. And to me, that's just, after living a life that was so full and happy, to be isolated is the worst thing. She sold the apartment because she wanted to sell it? She sold the apartment because she wanted the money to put her daughter through college. And it was going to be hers eventually anyway. And Uh she talked her mother into selling it. And the mother's just very, very, very unhappy. That's harsh. It's pretty selfish. 
I don't understand it. I, I don't know how she can do this, you know, because the seniors in, in, in other countries have, I think, have a much different life. They have a social network. They have a place to go and have a cup of coffee, you know. I'm generalizing, but I feel like when I go to Italy, and I go to Italy a lot, I, I see a lot of older women and men just walking and talking and meeting and having, having more of an interaction with people. Interaction, social interaction is just social so, so yeah. important. Well, tell yeah. me something positive that's come out of your experience of caring for your parents in this time period. Here. I found a really good restaurant in <laughs> Palm <laughs> Desert. <laughs> Makes really good pizza. Come on. How, <laughs> it's an Italian how, restaurant. Tell me how you've changed for the better. How have you I changed? haven't. It's brought out the worst in me. Oh, no. <laughs> I have not changed for the better. I've gotten organized, though. I will say that much. I, I know how I know how to advocate now. Well, there you go. Yeah, I know how to get on a phone and get another person to call me back. That's uh, for sure. So you've learned a few things there. Yeah, you got you you got to be aggressive. If they say they're going to call you back, they're not. So you just got to keep calling. You got to keep advocating, and the squeaky wheel gets the oil. You know, a lot of people are very passive. Oh, okay. Oh, you can't do that? Oh, all right. Well, for me, no has become the beginning of the negotiation. <laughs> so, okay, well, you said no, so here's what we're going to do. <laughs> I like that. That should be your phrase. No is just the beginning. The beginning <laughs> <laughs> oh. of the conversation. <laughs> well, do you have any last thoughts before we go? Just find good friends that let you laugh with them and let you vent to them. I think that's the most, that's what's helped me get through this the most is just having three or four good friends that are always there when I need to talk to them. That's my friend Callie. She lives in the D.C. area and she's a mom to three grown daughters and her parents live in Palm Desert, California. And she's got a couple brothers and they're all navigating the needs of their aging parents. So thanks so much for participating in the show. I really appreciate you being involved in this project, and good luck with your parents. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. The AgeWise podcast is produced and edited by me, Jana Panaritis, and you can listen to the show and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including, most recently, on Google Play Music. The AgeWise podcast is also distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. And don't forget to check out our website for more amazing caregiving stories from the field. Go to agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says, and find out how you can be a guest on the show. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.